For the rest of you, please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of James. We're going to be in chapter 3, starting in verse 13. All I'm saying is if you're not sitting up front here, you're missing out because, uh, man, I'll tell you what, there's nothing like not only just worshiping together, but hearing the voices, the people of God being raised in truth, singing truth about who God is. And it's not just any truth, it's a truth that's impacted and changed our hearts. And when we sing all that together and then just, man, being up here in the front and, and hearing all of our voices raise up to him, uh, there is nothing like that. So I'm praising the Lord this morning and trust that you are as well. A couple things before we get into our passage. First, I want to say thank you to Pastor Craig for uh, faithfully preaching the word last week. I so appreciated his sermon on the importance of taming the tongue. Talked to a couple of you who have told me that you had to apologize for things that you had said after hearing Craig's sermon, and that's what the Word of God is all about. It's about allowing it to convict us and uh, and change how we live and and repent when we get things wrong. So that's great, and. Uh, uh, I just want to say thank you to Pastor Craig for, for preaching the word last week. And then the second thing I, I wanted to do before we uh, jump into our passage is there's a letter that I want to re- read to you. I always want to kind of brag on our church when, um, when you guys are just doing things well and really doing ministry. And we received a letter this week that was really... Uh, really cool. It was written by an inmate in the Tipton County Jail. As many of you know, Shelly Walsh uh, runs the kitchen there, and she's just an amazing example of someone who, who is just living out her faith in the places that God has planted her. And so she set up this opportunity for our church to bring meals in over the holidays, and, and I received this letter of thank you from an inmate named Kenny Howard, and so I just wanted to read it to you. It says this. It says, Pastor Mike, Wanted to take the time to write to Rock Prairie and tell you how much we appreciate all the food that was donated for Thanksgiving and Christmas. He said, I've spent many of them both either in prison or in county jails over the years, but pray that this is the last time I'll ever be locked away, not just for these special holidays, but any day moving forward. With that being said, I wanted to let you know how much it meant to be treated with the love that your church family has shown us over the most difficult times of the year to be locked away and at times that you feel so alone and forgotten about. He said, this time I've surrendered my life to Christ and I've studied the importance of love that the Bible talks about. Through Shelley, who's been in a very important part of my growth in Christ, and through the love shown by other members of your church, we saw firsthand the love that the Bible speaks about. As I would watch, time and time again, one by one, a member of your church drop off food, it allowed me to see God at work. So on behalf of the inmates at the jail, I would like to thank Rock Prairie for everything. How cool is that? Yeah. Praise the Lord. Gives me goosebumps. Um, That's what it's all about, church doing little things with great love. And uh, so I want to commend Shelly for, um, for everything that she's doing. I want to commend you guys as well. Uh, let's keep it up, more and more of that. And let's be praying for Kenny, right? Our brother in Christ, he surrendered his life to the Lord, and we want to be praying for him as well. Makes me proud. Things like that make me so proud to be a part of our church body. So I hope you're encouraged by that. Well, please look with me in your Bibles at the book of James, chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 13 to 18, and then we'll pray. It says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But wisdom from above is first purer, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, we thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't have to wonder what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to live. You tell us. We thank you for the privilege we have to open it up today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that you give us to be a light in this community, from our neighbors to the ends of the earth, to the nations. So, Lord, we pray for our brother in Christ, Kenny. Pray that you would continue to mold him and shape him to the man of God you want him to be. We pray that as he um, gets out of prison, Lord, out of jail, that he would uh, surround him with a church body who loves him and he's able to grow. Lord, I pray that you would continue to give more and more opportunities for our church to be that light. Not because of, of us, not because it's about us, not to make our name great, but because we've been given such a great love, we can't help but to spread that love and share that love in return to make your name great, God. Lord, help us as we look to your word, as we look at the difference between true and false wisdom, wisdom from above and wisdom from below, God. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you want us to see and hear. May our hearts be changed. May we not be content to stay just as we are because none of us is like Jesus yet. So not, let us not be content in our sin Let us not be content in the ways that we fall short of the standard you call us to, but let us continue to press on and fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And we pray that you would use our time in your word to do that this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, our passage this morning, as I was studying it, it kind of, two things occurred to me about our passage, kind of at the same time, that our passage is two things at once. Number one, it's pretty simple. There's not much in our passage that you would be surprised to hear that is supposed to characterize us as the people of God. It's pretty simple. It's a lot of things you've probably heard before. And yet, at the same time, our passage is radically countercultural. I can't really think of a passage of God's word that goes more against our culture than this one. And it all goes back to this question that we ask all the time as a church, which is, what does it mean to really follow Jesus? What does it really mean to follow Jesus? Our mission statement as a church, which I just kind of quoted in our prayer, we talk about a lot, so make Christ known from our, say it with me, neighbors to the, all right, we haven't done that in a while, so I'll give you a grace, let's try it again. Our mission statement is to make Christ known from our neighbors to the, Very good. We talk about that a lot. What we don't talk about as often is our vision uh, statement, our vision as a church, which is printed in your bulletin every week. But we have a vision as a church, which is for every member of Rock Prairie to know Christ truly and deeply and to make him known widely. And our, our vision statement is actually an answer to the question, how do we accomplish our mission? If we want to make Christ known from our neighbors to the nations, how do we do that? And the answer is that we want every member of our church to know Christ truly and deeply and to make him known widely. We want every member to know Christ truly for who he really is. 
We're often tempted to just make Jesus in our own image, have our own ideas about who he is, but we want our, every member of our church to know who he is truly. Now, where do we find out who Jesus truly is? In the? Good job. You did way better than, actually, that wasn't very good, but it was still way better than first service. They were, that was a lot earlier, though. They at least got here to first service. We'll give them some, some grace. We learn about Jesus in the Bible, right? We look to God's word to know who God really is. Now he's revealed himself in the Trinity, in God the Father, and God the Son, and God the Spirit. So we look to God's word to know who he is truly. If we want to make him known, we first need to know who he is, right? That makes sense. And secondly... We want every member of our church to know Christ deeply. That is my desire for you as a pastor. That you wouldn't just have a surface level relationship with the Lord, but that you would have a deep and vibrant and abiding relationship with God. I want being a follower of Jesus to impact every decision that you make. Every word that comes out of your mouth as we've been talking about the tongue over the past few weeks, right? Every day from the moment you pick your head up off the pillow until you lay it down again, our desire is that you have a deep and thriving relationship with the Lord. And only when we get to that point are we then able to make him known widely from our neighbors to the nations. If we don't know who he is, we can't make him known. And if he hasn't impacted us on a deep and abiding level, then why would anybody be attracted to that kind of God? So we need to know him truly and deeply in order to then make him known widely. And that's our job as pastors, your church, to help you know Christ more truly and more deeply and to make him known more widely, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So a couple weeks ago, I preached on how to have a miserable 2022. If you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it. It was one of the weirdest sermons I've ever preached. We talked about what is it, well, how would you have a miserable 2022? This is kind of the opposite of that. I would love for you to be able to look back on this year, at the end of the year, and say, I know more about who Jesus is than I did at the beginning of this year. And I love Jesus more than I did at the beginning of this year. And God used me more, has used me more this year than he ever has before. That's my desire for you. And all of that kind of brings us back to our passage this morning. We're talking about the difference between the wisdom that comes from above and the wisdom that comes from below. Two different kinds of wisdom. Now, I think it's interesting that James actually uses the word wisdom almost in like air quotes in describing a wisdom that comes from this earth. And the reason we're talking about having a relationship with God is that our culture does anything but teach the wisdom that comes from above. Our culture calls a lot of things wisdom that the Bible actually calls foolishness. But if we're not seeking to have a deep relationship with the Lord, if we're not questioning everything that we listen to and, put, and hearkening back to God's word and saying, how does this jive with what God's word says about what is true? How does this truth claim compared to the truth that is in the Bible? If we're not constantly doing that, we're going to find ourselves adrift and seeking after wisdom from below, not even realizing what it is. Wisdom from God is what we're called to pursue. Now, this isn't the first time that James has talked about wisdom in this letter. 
In chapter 1, verse 5, James said, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. And ever since I preached this uh, several months ago, I've been, this has been one of my favorite uh, verses to quote. I've quoted this verse probably more than any other verse since I uh, preached this, and that's because I find myself often in situations where I don't have wisdom. I don't know what to do. And not only that, but I have in my role as pastor, many people uh, approach me and ask me for wisdom on certain situations. And I love being able to point to this verse and say, we lack wisdom about this. We don't know what to do. Let's ask God. And guess what? He'll give it to us generously, without reproach. He's not going to make us feel bad even for asking. He loves to give wisdom. So that's just a reminder, since it's been a few months since we've talked about that. Do you lack wisdom for anything? In your life, guess what? You can ask God. And guess what else? He'll give it to you generously and without reproach. Love that. So that's the first time he talked about wisdom. And now James is revisiting this idea of wisdom by asking a rhetorical question. It's a question that we need to ask as well. He asks this question, who is wise and understanding among you? He's addressing the church. He's basically saying, who are the wise people? Would the wise people stand up so I can really test your claims to wisdom? Which one of y'all is wise? And let's see if you're really wise or if you just think you're wise. That's what he's saying. And with the rest of our time this morning, as we look at this passage, I have two goals for us. The first first goal I have is I want you to test your own heart using this wisdom test to see if you, in fact, possess the true wisdom that comes from above. I want you to check your heart. Am I really wise? We often think we are wise. Are you really wise? Are you living in this way that James calls us to live? Do you have true wisdom? That's my first thing I want you to do. And that my second goal is that I want us to apply this wisdom test to the people that we are listening to and allowing to shape how we think. There are no lack of voices in our culture that are trying to get us to think a certain way. And so I want us to apply God's word, this wisdom test, to those people to discern whether or not those are actually wise people that we should be listening to or not. So that's my two goals. I want you to ask, am I wise and am I listening to wise people? That's where we're going with the rest of our time this morning. The first thing we should do is define wisdom. What does it even mean to be wise? According to the New Dictionary of Biblical Theology, wisdom is the capacity of judging rightly in matters relating to life and conduct. If we boil that all down, what that means is wisdom is the ability to know what God wants and to do it in every situation. Wisdom is applying that framework to every situation Easy and hard in your life. Do I know what God wants me to do in this situation? And am I able to do it? That's what wisdom is. So how do we know who actually has wisdom? Well, this is where things start to really just go so countercultural so fast it's unbelievable. It just cuts right against the grain of what our culture says wisdom is. Who does our culture, if you think about it, Who does our American culture in 2022, our American society, what kind of people do we promote as being wise? Who does our society give the biggest platforms to to tell us what's right and what's wrong? What kind of 
personality traits characterize people who rise to the top in our society to have the biggest voice. So I think it's this. I think you'd agree with me. People who are brash and bold. People who aren't afraid to tell it like it is no matter who disagrees with them. Right? People who are willing to fight, to stand up for what's right no matter what. Who aren't going to just back down. People who are willing to shout down their opponents until there's just nobody left that stands in their way. These are the kind of people that we elevate in our society, are they not? You see it all over. Our politicians, certainly. Our news pundits and talk radio personalities. People who gain the biggest following on social media. People who rise to the top of the corporate ladder in the business world. Even in our like sports coverage personalities, just the people who yell the loudest, right, are raised to the top. And sadly, we see that far too often in the church as well. In every area of our culture, I would argue, we have this tendency to elevate people based on their brash personality and willing to go toe-to-toe with anybody. That's really what we value as a society. Like I said, that's why it's so important that we know Christ deeply so we can know how he's calling us to live. So what does James say true wisdom looks like? Well, it's a very different picture, as you can imagine, than the one that our society says. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. The meekness of wisdom. What's the number one indicator of wisdom, according to James? Meekness. Is that not just the exact opposite of what our society would say? Now, what's meekness? I looked it up because that's my job. And uh, meekness is a gentleness of attitude and behavior. The, The word that's used here means a gentleness of attitude and behavior in contrast with harshness in one's dealings with others. So it's literally the exact opposite of everything that we just described that our culture values. And what's interesting to me is not just, this isn't a new thing in our culture. It's not just our culture that, uh, that values the opposite of this. It, this was true in James's day as well. The Greeks didn't value meekness. They thought that meekness was a sign of weakness. That a meek or a gentle person was inferior to a strong and confident person. Very similar to the way that our culture views it today. But James flips the culture on its head. It says there is no wisdom without meekness. Meekness means humble gentleness. It doesn't mean that you just are like just a nothing of a person. It means you're humbly gentle in the way that you deal with others. I don't want to be meek. Well, guess what? You know who else was meek? Who described himself? Who said he was meek? You can guess it. Jesus he said that twice about himself. Guess what else Jesus said? He said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. There's no wisdom, true wisdom, without 
meekness without gentleness. Think about what that means. You can have all the right answers. Somebody could have every right answer. They could be exactly right about a particular issue. But if they don't have that humble, gentle attitude, they don't have any wisdom at all. Which means what? What's the, if you're wise, what's the opposite of being wise? It means you're a fool. So as we think about this, that's the first question I have for you this morning. Are you meek? Again, we use that word almost as an insult in our society. Are you meek? God says there's no wisdom without meekness. Would people describe you as gentle and humble, easy to get along with? Or are you a steamroller? You just see other people as obstacles between where you are and where you want to be, what you want. You're willing to do whatever it takes to run them over. That's not wisdom. Do you see people as made in the image of God who are dearly valued and dearly loved by him, even if you disagree with them on just about everything you could possibly disagree with them on? True wisdom demonstrates itself in gentle humility and meekness. The opposite of that is what James says in verse 14. Look there with me. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast and be false to the truth. In other words, be false to the truth. That just means if you're bitterly jealous and have selfish ambition, don't claim that you have wisdom because you don't. It's a lie. Now, both these terms, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, have to do with the way that we view others and the way that we interact with other people, right? Think about it. You can't have jealousy if it weren't for somebody else, right? Why does that person have that thing and I don't? Why is that person successful and I'm not? Why did that person get the promotion and I didn't? Why does that person always get to drive the combine and I'm stuck here in the auger wagon? That's for the farmers out there. I'm learning stuff. You got to give me credit. That kind of thing. Jealousy. Why do they have something that I want when I deserve it? Selfish ambition. Similar. It's wanting to tear someone down so that you can be built up, right? It's wanting to take someone else down a peg. It's ambition that is selfish. I want that person to be lowered so I can be raised above them. It's the same word that Paul uses in Philippians 2 to talk about the opposite of Christ-likeness. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others to be better than yourselves. Verse 15 says, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. You kind of see the progression there, can't you? This is not the wisdom from above. This is wisdom that's from the earth. Not only that, it's the opposite of what godly wisdom is. In fact, it's demonic. It's the work of the devil, he says. That's strong language, isn't it? But the irony here, again is that he uses the word wisdom. It's almost like this is a different kind of wisdom. See, this wisdom that comes from below might work. It might get you what you want. You might actually get to the place you want to be using selfish ambition and jealousy. It might get you where you want to go might be successful in the world's eyes, but that is not success in God's 
eyes. Again, we need to be thinking of this not in worldly terms, but in heavenly terms. I heard the, just the perfect example of this recently. There was a, a certain uh, kind of spokesman, uh, politician uh, for the Republican Party, and he was speaking at a, uh, at a conference, a, I don't know, a big conservative conference. And uh, I'm just using this example. I don't talk about these things very much, but it was just such a perfect example. If this was a Democratic politician from a Democratic conference, I'd use the same example. But I'm using this example because it just so illustrates what kind of wisdom can get you what you want if you use it. He's talking about this. He's talking about the need to fight back against the other side. And this is what this person said. He said, we've been playing t-ball for half a century while they're playing hardball and cheating, right? And he says, this is the key part. We've turned the other cheek. And I understand sort of the biblical reference. I understand the mentality, but it's gotten us nothing, okay? It's gotten us nothing. Turning the other cheek has gotten us nothing is what this person says. I want you to hear what I'm saying because in one, person, one sense, this person was exactly right. They're exactly right. If your goal is to advance your agenda in order to gain political power, to force your policies in place in our current political environment, then turning the other cheek's not going to get you there. It's not. But here's the key. Here's where we need a heart check. It's the church. If your political goals require you to literally disregard the teachings of Jesus... You have the wrong goals. Can I say that again? If in your pursuit of your political goals, it requires you to crumple up the teachings of Jesus and throw them away and say, those don't work, we need to try something else. The problem isn't with the teachings of Jesus. It's with our hearts. It's with our goals. Amen? I think... We need to be on high alert for these things, church. I think Republicans and Democrats alike have been saying things like this and are going to continue to say things like this in the coming years. And as Christians, we need to just be willing to stand up and say, no, absolutely not. It doesn't matter what the outcome is. I'm never going to disregard what Jesus says in order to pursue political power. Jesus doesn't want that. Jesus isn't worried that his tactics didn't work, and so we better try something else to get where he wants us to go. No. It is never best to disregard Jesus in pursuit of political power. But it's not even just, I'm not even just talking about politics. I mean, this is true everywhere, in every area of life. It could be, find yourself in a situation at work where maybe you can get ahead by using this kind of wisdom from below, quote-unquote wisdom, Right? Maybe you find yourself with just the perfect opportunity to slander another coworker in front of your boss to knock him down a peg and make you the favorite, right? If you take advantage of that, if you take that opportunity, you might have all sorts of success. And if you don't take that opportunity, you might never have that kind of quote-unquote success. But that kind of wisdom, while it might work in the short term, is not the kind of wisdom that comes from Jesus. And sadly, the same thing can be true in the church. Man, you see this over and over again, this kind of worldly wisdom that creeps into the church. I think that's what James is getting at with the next verse. He says, where, selfish, jealous, where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. 
Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. And I think just too often in too many churches, the wisdom of the world prevails over the wisdom of God, and the wisdom from below wins over the wisdom from above. And James says that when you're acting with this kind of selfish ambition and jealousy within the church, you're actually doing the work of the devil, and you shouldn't be surprised when there's disorder and dysfunction, and people are doing all sorts of vile things that you couldn't even imagine. So what does true wisdom look like? Verse 17. Again, think how countercultural this list of things is. But the wisdom from above, from God, heavenly wisdom, is first pure. It's pure. There's nothing polluting it. There's nothing contaminating it. It's peaceable. It seeks to make peace with other people around. It doesn't seek to stir up other people to anger into a fight. It seeks to make peace everywhere it goes. It's gentle. It's not harsh. It's not steamrolling people. It treats people with a soft hand. It's open to reason. It's not so set and stuck in its ways that you can't even listen to other people what they're trying to say. It's open to reason. It's full of mercy and good fruits. It's impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is kind of wisdom that I want to characterize who we are as a church. As you hopefully know by now, we're undergoing this season as a church of strategic planning for the future. What do we want our church to look like in the years to come? And one of the things that I've shared with many people in this season is that one of the things that scares me the most in ministry that just kind of makes my knees knock together is that you, it's possible to have every marker of success in the world in ministry and yet still not be successful in the eyes of God. And I think that's what this passage is getting at here. See, part of the reason James was writing was because of false teaching that was attracting a lot of followers in the area and pulling people from the church. And so when James says, not many should teach, and talks about the tongue being full of deadly poison, and talks about this wisdom from below, like that's what he's referring to. These people who are going and they're gaining a bunch of followers using tactics that are not from God, teaching things that are not from God's word, and yet getting notoriety and success from them. And so we need to take that lesson to heart that it's possible to grow a church using wisdom from below. We don't want that. It's possible to rise up to prominence using bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We don't want any part of that. It's always, always better to do what gives you success in the long run than what just gives you success in the short run, which means that rather than promoting leaders who are just going to attract others based on uh, their bold and brash and angry personalities, the church should promote leaders who are humble and gentle and teachable, who don't play favorites, who aren't so set in their ways that they can't be open to reason and listen to opinions other than their own. And hey, I'm preaching to myself right now. It means the church shouldn't be full of people who are just willing to do whatever they want to get whatever they want in the church. But they're peaceable and gentle and full of mercy for one another. And all these things, once again, are just directly tied to our understanding of the gospel 
the way that we live out our faith. It's the wisdom from above is not something we just conjure up in our hearts. How can we be humbly gentle with other people? Well, it's when we remember that Jesus Christ was humbly gentle with us. He says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. That's his heart for us. He's humble at this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant. That's what Jesus did. If we don't have that just tied up in our hearts, if we don't understand that, if we don't understand what we've been given in the gospel, we can't live it out. So as we close, I want to bring us back to those original two questions. First, do you have wisdom, true wisdom? Not just the wisdom from below, from the earth, that's going to get you where you want to go, that people look to you and say, wow, he's so successful because he doesn't back down from anybody. Do you have true wisdom from above that's full of gentleness and peace and mercy? Would people describe you as those things? Or are you full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? Are you constantly comparing yourself to others and complaining that they have more than you and doing whatever it takes to get past them? Again, this couldn't be more countercultural, could it? Because James is what he's doing. He's asking you to give up some things in the world that you might be able to get otherwise. There might be real consequences in your life by choosing the wisdom from above. You might not get where you think you want to go. You might not get a climb in your business or whatever. But it's better. It's always, always, always better to seek the wisdom from above. Here's the thing. If you're a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, you're going to surprise people in one of two ways. There's no, no getting around it. You, your presence as a Christian is going to surprise people in one of two ways. There's one bad way you can surprise people and one good way you can surprise people. You can surprise people. They might say, you're a Christian? Oh, never would have thought that. You do all the same things we do. You're just fighting just like we are. You're involved in all these same things. I never didn't know you were a Christian. You can surprise people like that. Or you can surprise people by abstaining from these passions in the world that wage war against your soul. So let me just say, let your character be the thing that surprises people, not your claim to be a Christian. Let your life be characterized by wisdom from above, not wisdom from below. May that be true of us. So when you think about yourself, I want you to ask, am I full of true wisdom? And then finally, I want to ask, who are you allowing to shape your worldview and your mindset? What voices are you letting in there? Again, there is no shortage of talking heads who are full of wisdom from the world. There are plenty of people vying for your attention, all the while demonstrating that their wisdom really isn't wisdom at all. James says it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Let me just say pastorally, like, don't fall into that. Don't be drawn to these people. I understand the temptation. I've fallen into this same trap. You might agree with 100% of the things that this person says. They might be the only one saying it, and you just know they're right. They might be the most charismatic, intelligent, confident, 
leader you've ever heard speak. But if their lives aren't filled with meekness, the humble gentleness that comes from wisdom, they're not worth listening to. They're just not. They need to be protected from that. If they're filled with jealousy and selfish ambition, we can't allow them the space to shape how we think and how we live because the more we listen to people who are filled with the wisdom of the world, the more we're going to think that that's what we need to pursue as well. Seek instead the wisdom from above, which is pure and peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's be careful, church, to be a people who both display that kind of wisdom and value that kind of counter-cultural wisdom. Because that's what Jesus did. We want to be like him. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Because we don't have to get drawn into this fight. This fight that says, I need to get everything I can that's mine and run over everyone in my way in the process. Thank you for freeing us from that, God. For the freedom that we have in the gospel. Thank you for giving us a better kingdom to live for. We don't live only for this world. We live for the kingdom of heaven. So we praise you for that, God. We thank you, God. Help us to see in our own hearts ways that we're not demonstrating wisdom from above, but instead wisdom from below. If we have any bitter jealousy or selfish ambition, God, help us just reveal that to us. Help us repent of that and turn from it, God. If we're listening to voices that we shouldn't be listening to, God, help us to give us a discernment to see that and know that. So may we display and seek after those who have true wisdom from above and ultimately make us more like Jesus, the only one who is truly wise, the only one who lived on this earth and was without sin. We can't even fathom that. You call us to be more like Jesus, so we pray that in the way we think and the way that we act, that we would be more and more like him. Thank you for the grace for when we fall short. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together.